Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. Let's give our attention again to the reading of God's word. 1 Samuel 3. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, and he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Most gracious Father, as we... Read your word and think about your word this morning. Would you add your blessing to this reading of your word? Strengthen me by your spirit that I may proclaim clearly what I ought to proclaim. That your people might be strengthened to hear your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's a lot of things that are interesting about seminary. That's an understatement. One of the things that's interesting about seminary, at least where I went to seminary, and maybe it was just when I was at seminary, but, but I, I don't think so, 
is, is that you would have chapel every week. That wasn't interesting. That was normal. That was cool. That was fun. But what was interesting was, as I look back on it, was kind of how predictable the, the, the chapel sermons were. Right? So if, if it was an Old Testament professor, because it was usually professors that preached. It was an Old Testament professor. You would go in knowing they're going to preach some Old Testament passage and tell me it's about Jesus, and it's going to blow my mind because I will have never thought about that passage being about Jesus before. And that's what would happen. If it was a New Testament professor, you would go in knowing they're going to get into all kinds of like technical exegesis and it's going to be amazing somehow and I'm going to try and do it at youth, but then it's just going to fall flat and that's what would happen. If it was a history professor, you would go in knowing like we'll make it to the end. It'll be okay. (laughs) But if it was a missions professor or if a missionary came, You would go into chapel knowing, I'm leaving with questions. I'm leaving chapel and all my categories are going to be shot with holes. Because they're going to show up and they're going to tell some story and talk about some God who is way more personal and way more involved and way more vocal and way more active than the God that I've learned about in systematic theology. You just, you knew that was going to happen. And so you would go, and whether it was a missions professor like Dr. Medeiros, who y'all don't know, I don't know why I'm saying the name, or whether it was someone that had come in, was, was on sabbatical, and would show up and get invited to preach, you knew they're about to talk about a God that I'm not sure I know. And you you knew you would be simultaneously like kind of confused and inspired and hopeful that the God they're talking about is the real God. And you'd go back to class and you'd you'd sit down in in systematics and and everybody would have questions. Hey, what did you think, Dr. So-and-so, what did you think about what this person just said? And inevitably you would get one of two answers. You you would either get get an honest answer that that would go something like this. It would go something like, look, we forget that in the Western world, we have a very particular outlook on life. And we think it explains everything. But it doesn't. And when you talk to Christians from not the Western world or missionaries who have worked in not the Western world, you realize real quick that there's stuff that we just can't explain. And that some of the stories in the Bible that seem so weird to us are par for the course for them. That's one answer you would get. And and it wasn't, I mean, it, it wasn't particularly helpful because you're like, okay, well, great. The other answer you would get sometimes is like, well, here, and it would just kind of explain everything away. And it would put everything back in its neat little categories so that you didn't have to worry about God being weird. And for me, at that time, those were the far more comforting answers. Because the last thing I wanted was God to be weird at all. I needed him to fit in all the boxes that I had spent my life building. It's just what I needed. 
I needed to be in control is the other way to say that. The problem is we, we come to stories in the Bible like the one we just read about Samuel and like the one we read about Paul and we could keep reading stories. It's not just those two. And it forces us to go, wait a minute. Is this the God I worship? Is this the God I know? And inevitably, we do one of two things. We either go, well, you know what? Here's the categories. Here's the boxes. Let's put him back in the boxes. And and it's like one of those pop-up clown things. You slam him down and you shut the box and you hope that it stays shut. But sometimes it doesn't because there's other stories in the Bible. Or you go, you know what? Maybe God's just bigger than what, what we have room for in some of our theology. Maybe he's more personal than what we have room for in some of our theology. And I think that's the kind of God that we see here. Now, I want to be clear. I am fully aware of the historical meaning of this, that, 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 that we could, if we wanted to, limit this to go, here God set Samuel apart as a prophet, because that is, in fact, what happened. That is, in fact, what happened. But I think the way it happens is also instructive for us. I really do. And, and the, the reason I think that is because what, what you see throughout this passage is you see kind of two stories. You see, on the one hand, this setting apart of Samuel as a prophet, and on the other hand, you see the the kind of promise through him, the the prophetic promise through him that Eli's sons are done. And Samuel has to go announce that to Eli. But all through this prophet, you hear all of these words, or all through the story, there's all of these words and phrases that come up again and again about the Word of God, the vision of God, God calling, God... All of the... Where clearly what we see is a God who is in the business of communicating with His people. Now, our, our, in our Reformed world, the thing that we're quick to do is go, yes, and He's given us His Bible. And that's what we have now. And that's true. We've got these 66 books, and they are fantastic. They are the Word of God. We, we did a little series on it just a couple weeks ago where I preached one and Jay preached one talking about our doctrine of Scripture. But what I want us to remember as we see how God dealt with Samuel is that we don't worship and serve and interact with a different God than Samuel did. We don't. So here's what was going on. Here here was the setting. Kind of big picture history. Here was the setting. Verse 1. The young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Now, uh, preachers... You know, my type of people will, will read this, or, or, or especially uh, Proverbs, I think it's 28, 19, it might be 29, 18, one of those two, you can look it up and figure it out. And it says, you know, something like without vision, the people perish. And we're like, oh, we need a vision for the church. And, and we like go off into building our, our kingdoms. 
pretty much everywhere that vision is being talked about. It's being used in parallel like it is here with the Word of God. Even in that passage in Proverbs, it's being used in parallel with the law of God. Right? So, so when, when you see like God giving people visions and all this, like what he's doing is he's revealing his word to them. He's saying, here's who I am. Here's what is true. Here's what, what life is about. And for whatever reason, and, and we see this happen at different points in history, and I don't know why, but, but, but sometimes like God would kind of fall silent. Maybe it was out of judgment, maybe, but, but there are periods where things just were, it just was like radio silence for some reason. I mean, we see that, that was the intertestamental period between Malachi and John the Baptist showing up, that there was no frequent vision. That's why when John showed up dressed like a prophet, people were like, oh, it's about to start again. Let's pay attention to this guy. And that was the state that they were in here. And this, remember, is coming out of Judges. And here's what that that period led to. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That they didn't have a clear vision of of the Word of God. And so they were like, hey, let's just make it up. Let's figure it out for ourselves. And here's the thing. That just never works real well. That never works real well. We're actually not very good at doing that. At all. Eli is, is old and, and blind. There, there's, there's, you know, I mean, got to be a literary connection there between no vision and the next thing it says is like this dude was blind. Um, and, and Samuel is there serving in the temple with him. And it's bedtime, and, and so Samuel's trying to go to sleep, and Yahweh, Lord, it's, it's Yahweh, Calls to Samuel these three times. And, and here's, here's what we do. Here's, here's why I think stories like this are so important for us. As, as, one, as one writer said, it was Paul Tripp, he said this. This means that none of us, from the, the, the most influential leader down to the least, least influential follower, responds to life based on the pure facts of our existence. Rather, all our responses are the result of how we have interpreted those facts. We'll never stop interpreting because we were wired by God to search for meaning and understanding. We all have a deep desire to make sense out of life. All that was wired inside us by God to drive us to Him so that He would live at the center of the way we understand ourselves, understand life, and make sense out of circumstances. In other words, we're all interpreting everything that comes to us. And that's what Samuel does here. He hears a voice, and he interprets it. I know where voices come from. They come from mouths. I know where mouths are. They're on people. I know where a person is, because there's only one other dude here at the temple with me. Therefore, this voice that I'm hearing has to be coming from the mouth that's attached to that dude. So he goes, he's like, Eli, what do you need? And he's like, I need you to go back to sleep because I didn't call you. The Lord calls Samuel again. Same interpretation. Here I am, Eli, you called me. I did not call you, son. Go lie down. If you're a parent, this is all too familiar. 
Verse 7 tells us why he was interpreting his life wrong. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. There's the issue. The, the idea that God is calling me, that I'm hearing that for, for Samuel, what apparently is the audible voice of God, that wasn't a category that he had in his theology. He was looking for a mouth attached to a person within earshot. And so he kept going to Eli. Because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. There was a gap in his knowledge. To to put it in New Testament terms, his mind had not been transformed, had not been renewed for him to discern the will of God. So he did what he knew. He kept going to the mouth attached to the man within earshot and saying this has to be where this is coming from. And so this, this... reminds us of a couple of things real quick. First of all, it reminds us, and I want to be careful, I'm going to add some nuance here, but I'm going to try to not beat these things to death because I want them to say, it first of all reminds us that knowing God is not necessarily a function of ministry. Maybe I should say it this way. Knowing God is not a function of doing ministry. Here's what I mean by that. Eli was doing ministry. He was ministering in the temple before, before Eli. He, he was, or Samuel was doing ministry. He was ministering in the temple before Eli. Like he, he was doing all the ministry stuff that he was supposed to be doing. And he didn't know God. Because the word of God had not been revealed to him. Sometimes we forget that. It is entirely possible to spend your life doing ministry things and not knowing God. Remember, I mean, this isn't just some old testament. Remember, Paul, when he's in prison, there's people preaching the gospel accurately enough that Paul is like, let them do it. Joke's on them. But we know they didn't believe the gospel. See, knowing God isn't a function of doing ministry and doing ministry things. Otherwise, Samuel would have known God, but it tells us very clearly he didn't. We can also say alongside that, knowing God is not a function of knowing theology. You can know boatloads of theology and not know a thing about God. That that, that may seem odd to us as as a people in a tradition that love theology. And we do. And I'm not saying in either of these points that ministry doesn't matter, that theology doesn't matter. That's not my point. I'm saying that knowing God is not a function of being theologically educated. You can be theologically educated with the best of them and not have a spitting clue 
who God is. Now, I also want to say, just so you know, I'm not going this way. Knowing God is also not a function of just like spiritual imagination. Uh, you know, one of the big phrases that, that you hear, I, I'm what, spiritual but not religious. Like, I don't, no one actually knows what that means. But, but knowing God isn't a function of that either. Knowing God is a function of God revealing himself to us by his word. That's how we know God. That's how we come to know God. Is he makes himself known to us. We, we see this in Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing. Yeah, after all, all the beginning in verse 14, how shall they know if they don't believe? How shall they believe if no one preach? How shall they preach if no one, you know, all that? And he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In John 6, Jesus looking at, at, at all of the, the, these followers of Yahweh, saying he's the bread of life and, and all this stuff, and, and they're missing it. And he finally tells them, Unless the Father calls you. Unless God reveals Himself to you. You'll never know Him. You'll never know Him. What we just read in Acts 9, the story of Paul's conversion. I mean, Paul was, was educated, we find out, at the feet of Gamaliel, this uh, apparently like really amazing prophet. I, I, I imagine today in our world that'd be like, I was educated at the feet of like R.C. Sproul or something. I don't know. But like, they would have been impressed. And he didn't know God. He was actively seeking out and killing the people of God until God revealed himself to Paul. The reason Samuel didn't understand what was going on is because he didn't know God. And so he was interpreting his world based only on the knowledge that he had. He needed to be transformed by the renewal of his mind. To put it in Pauline language. Sometimes I wonder if we don't have the same issue. Sometimes I wonder if we haven't substituted the effectual call, having heard from God, having heard God call us to himself. If you're more comfortable having sensed God calling you to himself. Sometimes I wonder if we haven't substituted that with theology or ministry activity or church activity or, or whatever it is that we find comfort in. And so, we, and so we keep running to Eli saying, what do you want? Because it's the only category we have for making sense of life. That was Samuel's issue. He goes back to bed the Lord calls him again. Samuel, or I'm sorry, Eli catches on. Ah, I know what's going on. See, Eli has a different category for life than Samuel does. He has a category for a personal God who interacts with us, who leads us, right? And she's so like, oh, okay, here's what's going on. Next time, say this. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. 
Now, now that's a, a major shift. Right? We hear that and we're like, okay, that's just what he's supposed to say. But, but th- that, that would be a major shift in Samuel's thinking. So the Lord calls him again. Speak for your servant hears. And then God tells him this message of what's going to happen to Eli's sons. And then the next day, he, with some apprehension, understandably, communicates that to Eli, and Eli's response is, what all of ours are when we face something hard, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. Perfect faith. And then it tells us in verse 19, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. See, here's what had happened with Samuel. God had revealed himself to him and made himself known to him and given him his word to make known to other people. He had called him as a prophet. He had said, Samuel, this is who you are. This is what you're to do. This is where you fit in the kingdom of God. Making known to my people my word. Now, that's not where everybody fits in the kingdom of God. But it's where Samuel fit in the kingdom of God. It's what God gave him to do. You are to make known my word to my people. And, and here's what I find interesting about this. Just if we, if we think about the flow of the story, what we would expect to be given here What I would have expected to be given here was not a prophet, but a priest. Why? Well, because we were just told at the end of the last section that there's going to be a priest who goes in and out before my anointed forever. And the whole point of this story is that the present priesthood is being rejected. But what we see is that there's a bigger issue going on. They need to hear the life-giving word of God. So he sends a prophet. He sends Samuel to to, to announce to the people of God the word of God. And then what's fascinating here is that because God is working in this, because this isn't some function of Samuel's spiritual imagination, this isn't some function of, uh, of Samuel's theological education, this isn't just some function of Samuel's active, uh, you know, activity in ministry, because this is a function of God working in and through Samuel, he let none of his words fall to the ground. That's every preacher's dream. That every word that would come out of my mouth would land and change you. Not because I spoke it, at least on on my better days, not because I spoke it. But but that's our dream, that that we would preach and, and it would give life. And that people would repent and believe in the gospel. And that none of our words would fall to the ground. That was Samuel's experience. And it was Samuel's experience because God made it so. Because God said, you're going to be my prophet and you're going to speak my words to my people. That's what I've called you to do. 
and I'm with you. Now, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not willing to say that if your words fall to the ground, you're, you're doing the wrong thing as a preacher. I'm not quite willing to go there. The, the, the reason I'm not is, is this. We, we don't always know what words falling to the ground looks like. And we, and we tend to interpret them not falling to the ground looking like my glory and my kingdom getting bigger. That, that's, what we t- that's what we tend to think. So, so my problem isn't that, that if your words fall to the ground. Like my, my problem is we, 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 we operate like Samuel was at the beginning of the story. With minds not transformed, minds not renewed, and just interpreting our experience like, like Dr. Tripp talked about, just in light of what we know. But here was Samuel doing exactly what it was that God called him to do, that God equipped him to do, and bearing all kinds of fruit. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. I don't know why that's in chapter 4, verse 1. It's so abundantly clear that it should be the end of chapter 3. We're just going to pretend that it is. Notice what has happened here in in how the, the Bible's describing this. As Samuel was walking in his role as a prophet, in in the role that the Lord had called him to, his word is treated as the word of God. The word of Samuel came to all of Israel. He went and announced what is true. Now, how do we put all this together for us in Conway in 2023? Well, there's a couple of ways. We, we could go, though let's put everything in its category route and keep everything nice and clean and say, thank God that he sent prophets to make his word known to us. And we should thank God that he sent prophets to make his word known to us. We should thank God for that. But I think we can push a little bit further. I think we can also look at this story and go, oh, okay. This is how God works. He leads his people personally. He calls us, as we're told in John 10, by name. And when he makes himself known to us, we hear his voice. And he sends us out to do those things that he's called us to do. See, sometimes we come to these stories and go, wow, isn't it cool that God did that? And it's all past tense. And, 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 and we separate ourselves from the God who actually is. See, sometimes we've, we've forgotten how much room that, that there is between our categorized, neat, perfect, catechetical theology and like no holds barred like crazy. There's a lot of room between those two realities. For God to be a personal God who actually deals with us, who actually, I'll say it, speaks to us and leads us 
and guides us and helps us and comforts us and teaches us to do things that we didn't know how to do and gives us words to speak that we didn't have to say. Sometimes we've gotten so used to categorizing everything that, that we've categorized God as a God who's, who's not even personal anymore. And, and that we, we don't understand, why would I go to him and pray about this? Why would I go to him and confess this? to? Why, why would I talk to, to God about this? This doesn't have anything to do with believing in Jesus, strictly speaking. This is my job, or, or this is this, that, why, why? Because this is who our God is. The, 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 the personal God that interacts with us, that leads us, that guides us, that speaks to us, that has given us his spirit. The God we see in 1 Samuel 3 is the God we worship. He is the God we serve. He is the God who leads us according to the Spirit. This is our God. The one who would call to a child and fill his mouth with his words that he might be a prophet. That's the God we serve. And we, we need to get comfortable with that. We need to get okay with God being God. And get uncomfortable with, with, with the God that lives in our categories. And has to ask our permission to break out. Because what we find is that's not the God of the Bible at any point from Genesis to Revelation. And here's the thing. That doesn't undo our doctrine of Scripture at all. At all. It helps us see from the Scripture who our God is actually is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a personal God who deals with us personally. Even that you speak to us and guide us, that you've given your spirit, that you've given Christ who is your word. And we ask that you would guide us. Lord, we would hear your voice even as Samuel did. That we might know your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of scripture and theology.